Good morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. I want to offer a reflection this morning with the intention of helping to frame your day a bit in terms of practice. Can everyone hear me all right? Great. So yesterday we talked about wisdom and energy, the wisdom to know what's wholesome and what's unwholesome. And of course, that covers an incredible amount of ground. I mean, that's the really broad, obvious, gross things, you know, like killing, stealing, lying, sexual misconduct. And it's also the more subtle Things, the things that we encounter every day in ourselves and in the people around us, irritation, discontent, jealousy, anger, longing, you know, a kind of sensual desire, wanting, aversion. Dullness, sleepiness, restlessness. You know, there are even more, you might say, complex, mundane patterns that are ingrained in the way we think and drive the way we act. And that the Buddha was encouraging us to really see these things and to really work with them and change so that we can be free of the dukkha that comes along with all that and that our skillful mental states give rise to skillful speech and skillful action. That we let go of wrong ways of thinking about the reality that we experience, you know, not coming from a place of self so much. I mean, that is how we see the world. We're in these bodies, and we're relating to everything from this perspective. Me and mine, and how does this affect me, what's happening right now? It's a normal, understandable situation. And as I said last night, we as human beings are in this incredibly weird, (laughs) dangerous, uncertain situation, just a human life. And we have many coping mechanisms to deal with that. You focus on the beauty and the love and the happiness and and there's nothing wrong with that as long as we're conscious and aware and clear and honest and willing to see what's actually there. Because anything short of that has suffering in it. If we just focus on the positive, 
at some point we really get slammed with something difficult and we don't have the capacity to deal with it, etc. We all know about this. But what do we do? And how do we cultivate? It's interesting, this morning, Ayachitananda and I were having a conversation with someone who lives here at BCBS, and we were talking about, they were talking about the sort of trend in American Buddhism to, to practice by just being present and aware with what's happening now and letting it arise and pass through. And I uh, recently, a friend of ours who teaches Dhamma, he's a lay person, and her question for me was, you know, that's what I've always been taught. But I hear you talking about something different. And this difference is what actually what the Buddha said, that we should be proactive in our practice and train the mind, that cultivation is crucial, not just observing, not just the present moment awareness. That present moment awareness is also crucial, but it's only really a first step. Beyond that, we need to recognize what's wholesome and what's not wholesome in what comes through moment by moment. And we see patterns. We see those patterns that we've had for a long time. We see those patterns that our parents had, that our culture has. And we need to have the wisdom to identify what do we keep and what do we train ourselves away from. And some of them are obvious. For anybody who's grown up in an abusive situation, for example, or if you've seen that, you've observed someone else going through that, you can, you can see two distinct, different approaches to it. One is the pattern repeats and continues. The other one is I'm not doing that. I'm not going to be like my parent who did that. We have a friend who does some uh, volunteer construction work for us at the Hermitage. He's great. He's like 71 years old, definitely a hippie. (laughs) The door of his house says, beware, hippies have been sighted in the area. How does it go? Peace and love might break out at any moment. <laughs> He's a great guy. He, he built one of our kutis completely as don't. His labor was completely donated. Our monastery paid for the materials. But it wasn't going to be donated to us. He said he would like for Karuna Buddhist Vihara to make a donation to the Nepal Youth Foundation a beautiful project, helping kids in Nepal. They've done great work. KBV was happy to do that. So he's, he's this really 
incredibly kind, industrious person. And he told us the story of his childhood. His parents were missionaries in Nicaragua? No. Venezuela, maybe? Venezuela. This is a long time ago. And he said that when he was six years old, his father beat him so hard he couldn't get off the ground. And then his father walked into the church to preach a sermon. And he said, that's where I realized there was something wrong with the religion as they were practicing it. And he said his mother was even worse, so mean that he and his brother and sister would stay away from her as much as possible. So all day long, they spent their time with the village kids, with the native children, and going into being invited into their families' homes and were so loving and kind and feeding them. And, you know, it was just wonderful. And he thought, even as a small child, my parents should not be teaching these people things. It should be the other way around. This isn't, you know, this story is not to in any way put down a religious tradition. It's about how human beings behave. And so his determination was, I'm not going to repeat this. <laughs> I'm going to do something else. And this is... This is what we all have to look at. And, and it's, he also doesn't have hostility, blame, anger. You know, everyone is where they're at through their conditioning. And we want to have the compassion, the kindness, the understanding. Like I said maybe the other day, I say this pretty often, if we really knew through the lifetimes that this particular conscious stream of consciousness that runs through you, where that has been, what it's been through, what has happened, what it's picked up, we would be so understanding and compassionate for ourselves. If we knew in the past, maybe we've gone through wars, we've gone through all kinds of disease and loss and died many times from various things, violence and natural causes and all, just the whole panorama of human experience, we would have so much compassion. We would have, no wonder my mind works this way. <laughs> no wonder I have these reactions. No wonder this other person has these reactions. So that kind of kindness and compassion, but also wisdom. Wisdom is what we need to develop and rely on in order to have appropriate boundaries. Not long ago, someone told me, I've been going to Buddhist talks for like two decades. Well, maybe it wasn't quite that long with, with them. I don't remember. But I've never heard anyone talk about boundaries. We have to talk about boundaries. The Buddha had boundaries. He taught about boundaries. You blame what's blamable. 
You praise what's praiseworthy. He said, if we don't, we're on the wrong track. You walk away from what's unwholesome. Or sometimes you have an opportunity to try to change it. But a lot of times we don't. So we walk away. This is the kind of thing that is important for us to investigate. But today, what I would like to encourage all of us to do is to really look at something more subtle, perhaps a pattern in our own mind, some tendency we've got that we know we would like to let go of, that we can see this isn't what I want to carry to my grave and beyond. So noticing, okay, what is it? Is it a resentment or some kind of arrogance or um, you name it? And just choose something. And then as you practice today, look at One model the Buddha gave was look at the danger in it. Ah, but even before that, you look at the gratification in it. What am I getting out of this kind of way of thinking or acting or speaking? What benefit does it have? Then you look at the danger in it. And then you look at the escape. The gratification, the danger, and the escape. The Buddha talked about this frequently. So let's take an example. Recently, well, (laughs) as long as I can remember, I've had this tendency to beat myself up, to have regret. And this regret can come up in my mind about things that happened 30 years ago. I'm 69 now. Probably things that happened 59 years ago. <laughs> it could be any time. And I remember Ajahn Sumedho telling a story. He told this story repeatedly that once when he was young and he was in the Navy, something happened. Some kind of unfair, really harsh experience. And he said when he thinks of it, He can still have the same anger, the same feelings come up. Because if we have that habit, that pattern of thinking something, a feeling comes with it, it starts to become a habit. It's like you, you have this come up, you give it some attention, it comes up again and again and again and again over time, from time to time, and there was someone in my life said, well, but I don't think about it that much. <clears throat> the fact that it keeps recurring, this is something that's worth looking at. It's something you want to be free of. So, okay, I have this pattern. Regret. And I know what the Buddha said about what to do, about things that we, mistakes we make. And a lot of times this regret will come up not even about a mistake. It's maybe just something I said that was stupid or 
a feeling of embarrassment or something like that, right? Somehow the idea is in there that I should be perfect. <laughs> That's pretty hopeless. <laughs> so I know that the formula that's wholesome, that the Buddha would encourage is you make some mistake, you acknowledge it, you forgive, and you learn. Ajahn Brahm calls it the AFL, the AFL method. Acknowledge, forgive, and learn. And you let it go. Ajahn Ganha, the teacher I mentioned yesterday in Thailand, he said, cut off the past. He actually used this, this um, gesture where he put his hand on his, on his other arm and swept it away. Cut off, cut off the past. Let it go. Don't think about what happened then. You know, and there's a quote in the, in the suttas, the past is just a memory. First of all, we don't remember it accurately. I don't know if you've noticed that. Get two people talking about the same event. You can't trust that memory thing. It is totally unreliable, really. If we ever argue about who said what, what a hopeless argument that is, <laughs> it is, right? Okay, so letting go of the past. But for my mind, this was a habit. So habits per- kind of self-perpetuate. And I've, I ran across, so I, I knew, I want to I let go of this habit. But the question is, how do you do it? These things are very sticky. You know, you could dig into, okay, what's the gratification? What am I getting out of it? Boy, it's hard to find. Like, what, what good is this doing? I know that the idea is, oh, I'm going to be a better person if I kind of remind myself of these mistakes. I won't make them as much. But actually, in the laboratory of my experience, that experiment doesn't seem to hold up. (laughs) It doesn't quite work. How many of you, do you relate to what I'm saying? Is this something that, yeah, yeah. So the gratification, not much. The danger, what's the danger? The danger in having this pattern roll on is dukkha. It's suffering. It's, it's diminishing. It's um, impeding progress, happiness, real wisdom, self-respect, self-caring. All kinds of dangers, I think, are there. Also, when we're very self-critical, we have a tendency to be critical of others, perpetuating that, potentially perpetuating that for other people, too. So there's a fair bit of danger. And really, you know, we're all on this path to wake up. Complete, absolute freedom from suffering. If that's our goal, the goal that is liberating and emancipating, says the Buddha, if that's our goal, then we do want to let go of all the stuff that doesn't fit into that. 
And later in this retreat, I'm going to talk about what's left. And let go of all that. What's left? But, okay. Want to let it go. But how? So we look at the, the gratification, the danger, and the escape. Now, sometimes seeing the danger in something is enough. Oh, we just drop it like a hot potato. <laughs> and we can. But sometimes the pattern's more ingrained than that. We have to work more at it. So what are the things that help us change? I was struggling with this question for a long time. What is it that causes people to change? And I think there are kind of two possibilities there. One is insight. Like, let's say, you see the danger and you just drop it. The mind can't go there again because there's been an insight. There's been a realization. You see that the way I've been thinking, that isn't truth. Now you do it differently. The other way is practice. Putting a practice into place. So I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where maybe there's some abuse or there's some kind of harshness and the person apologizes and they say, I'm not going to do it again. But then they do. Pattern, cycle. And we can apologize again and then... We do it again. We say we're sorry. We say we're not going to do it again. But it happens again. And why is that? It's not that there's like a... I mean, oftentimes I think the person is very sincere. We're sincere. We sincerely don't want to do it again. We sincerely want to be more kind and compassionate, understanding, restrained, and happy and generous. But that's not what's happening. Why? Because there hasn't been any insight that's hit around it, and they haven't put a practice in place. So when somebody is dealing with an addiction, most of the time a practice needs to be put in place to avoid continuing that cycle, that pattern. When we have an unwholesome, unskillful pattern in our life, put a practice in place to renounce that pattern, that action, that way of thinking. So sometimes we can do it with renunciation. So a lot of times people don't like that word. What is renunciation? It sounds like deprivation. It sounds like I can't have what I like and what I want. That's not the point, really. If you want to frustrate your desires so you don't have so many desires and you can live freer with less, that's great. But right now, I want to think about renunciation as a way to renounce unskillful habits and patterns. And the way to do it is to resist doing whatever it is for a specific period of time. I'm not going to criticize anybody today. And then see what it feels like when the mind comes up with criticism in it and it wants to say something or do something, and you stop it, and you, you hold it there. And so 
that's just one example. It can be anything. Um, it can be, I'm not going to follow that thought of self-regret, of regret. I'm not going to entertain it. For me, that one, it actually took a little something else. I was reading a sutta where the Buddha was talking about regret. And he was talking about letting it go. And there are different words in the Pali language for regret. So there's a word that's pronounced hiri, and, uh, and it's paired with another word, otapa, hiri otapa. These two are considered the guardians of the world. And hiri is a kind of wholesome regret. It's conscience. It's the right use of conscience, where yeah, I did that, and I don't like it. That wasn't good. I'm not going to do that again. Otipa is the forward-looking fear of doing something wrong. That's the part that sees the potential repercussions of action and holds back. So Hiri and Otipa, the Buddha said, these are the guardians of the world. This is what helps us to live together in peace and harmony. This is what helps us reduce, resist, diminish the harm that can happen in the world. But there's another word for regret. Vipatisara. Vipatisara, I think it is. And that regret is an unwholesome kind of regret. That kind that comes up in the mind like I was describing that doesn't have a positive result. It's just like worry about the past. And in one way you can tell the difference is that there's a really strong sense of self in that, that second one, that unwholesome one. It's like it's about me being foolish or stupid or in, unskillful. It's a sense of It's driven by that, that sense of self. And to recognize, oh, yeah, this is a different thing. This isn't the one that helps us do better in our life. This is the one that's actually debilitating. And somehow that understanding, and maybe that is a kind of insight, that really cut off that pattern. And it's also a practice because when that thought would come up, it'd be like, no, that's the unwholesome kind. (laughs) Put that down. And then to recognize that what we think matters and the difference between a thought that just pops into the mind, we don't have any control over what just pops into the mind, It's like tuning a radio. You don't have control over what's coming through the channel, but you can keep going and not stay on it. (laughs) And that's the difference in the thinking, in the mind. What pops in there, that's old stuff that's coming from history. But what we put attention on, if we 
take the next thought deeper onto that if we have any, like give that any sense of importance, give that any energy, then we're growing it, we're encouraging it here and now. That's what we don't want to do with unskillful thoughts. So when we're really clear, hey, that's unskillful, it pops into the mind, no, I'm saying no. I'm going on to something else. Sometimes going on to something else in the right way with mindfulness, replacing that unwholesome thought with a wholesome thought, some kindness for yourself, some kindness towards someone else, um, some, some uplifting, encouraging idea, that can really be helpful to overcome, to... to Lay to rest that unskillful way of thinking. I think that's probably enough to say. So as you're practicing today, definitely become as still as you can in your mind, sitting, walking, keeping noble silence. And let yourself discover one thing you'd like to change in yourself. And see if you can investigate that in that kind of intuitive way. It's not so much analysis. It's not so much the mind being engaged in a thinking process, but maybe more intuitive. Let let your presence with, your holding of that particular thing. That's not really a thing. We're going to talk about things not being a thing later, but (laughs) holding this idea, this this habit and seeing what comes from that seeing if you can really see the gratification the danger and the escape see if you can really recognize how you give energy to it or deprive it of energy I remember hearing you might have heard this too so The way I heard it is a Native American kind of um, saying or wisdom where the grandfather is talking to the grandchild about each of us having two wolves living inside of us. There's a good one and there's a bad one. And the child says, well, which one is going to win? And the Grandfather says it depends on which one you feed. And it's like that. So when we know what's skillful and unskillful, and we feed the skillful, and we starve the unskillful, and we just, we don't have to do anything except say no, except don't give it energy, don't give it food and then see what happens. 
and you can think, well, what's going to happen in the course of a day? You'd be surprised. Because that sets a course for something good. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.